0: Call it? Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 43 of Call It Friend or the podcast where two friends watch a film decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie and my co-host Donna Katirnan watched 1973's film noir, The Long Goodbye. As always, this podcast contains spoilers for the film right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. Please follow Call It Podcast on Instagram, like the Facebook page, leave a review on iTunes, or any or all of the above. Please send any questions or recommendations to podcast at gmail.com or send us a DM on Instagram. I don't know about you, but I'm off to the supermarket to buy some curry brand cat food. Curry.
1: What have you been watching, Andy?
0: Well, I watched three things. Three whole films. Cool.
1: Do you want to tennis ball this back and forth? Sure. How many have you got? I've got four. Okay.
0: You go first, then. You've got one more than me.
1: All right. All right. Yeah, that actually makes sense. Okay, so first of all, uh, last Sunday morning, quite early, I watched There Will Be Blood, Mm -hmm. which... um, I, well, I mean, I I did realize, okay, I've probably watched the magic out of this one by now, because I've seen it a lot. So I said, okay, I'll leave this a few years now while I was watching it. But one thing that did strike me, I mean, it's like, it is just terrific. Enough has been said about it. But one thing that did strike me that I haven't heard anybody note anywhere is that I think it's the biggest weird movie ever.
0: What do you mean by that? There's a
1: lot of, there's a lot of money on the screen. Um, it's very well made, but it might as well be, ad- like it's okay. It's it, it's like it follows the logic of a David Lynch film, but the physics are totally real world. This is the real world, but it's it's totally strange. It's a very very strange movie, but it's grounded so well that you might not note it. But I don't think like yeah, I think it's the the. Largest scale, most realistic, weird movie ever. Like it's the stuff of nightmares and dreams all rolled into one, you know? It's
0: a film that I respect much more than I enjoy watching.
1: Oh, fair enough. I really enjoy watching it. You'd start out talking about the two massive performances, but there's also just the cinematography, the script, the like, also just the general chutzpah of Paul Thomas Anderson. Like, what a streak to start off on fucking hard eight and end up on there will be blood. Has anybody done anything like that? Any director, maybe Kubrick. When
0: was the last time you watched hard eight?
1: Um, ah, probably not long ago. Yeah, I tend same. to I watched roll- it not
0: that long ago. I still really like it.
1: I- I really like it. Yeah, I tend to roll over his filmography steadily enough, I would say. Except for um, Inherent Vice, which, which is I, the only, I only film I twice. haven't
0: seen. And I was going to watch it. I was planning to watch it last night to match up with this film, but I still Yeah, never got it'd be a, right a very good it.
1: companion for this. I'll tell you that, like, I will discuss this more when we get to it, but Inherent Vice is like the, uh, it's almost like a less subtle The Long Goodbye. Anyway, tell me something you've been watching.
0: So the first thing I watched was Freaky. Have you seen this?
1: Oh, nice. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah,
0: I thought it was good. It's uh, So it's the body swap horror comedy with Vince Vaughn and Catherine Newton, which is in UK cinemas at the moment, but I got it from my local blockbuster. It's directed by nice. Christopher Langdon, who did the Happy Death Day films. So you pretty yes. much know what you're getting immediately. Vince Vaughn is a near-mute Psycho killer, Kiskase, and Catherine Newton is uh, the high school girl he switches bodies with. I thought Vince Vaughn playing the teenage girl character, that's basically what the film is all about. But Newton does a good job as the killer, mm. too. And surprisingly, the film has a lot of heart. And it won't yeah. change your life, but it's a solid, high-concept horror comedy.
1: Yeah, I think um, it just it hits... Uh, I- it hits high on both of the genres it's approaching like it it does have a lot of heart which is surprising and it's very nice to see a film that finally utilizes both of Vince Vaughn's great qualities he's very funny and he's also a huge terrifying unit of a man
0: he's so tall he's like 6'6" six, six yeah. or something he's massive but the, the for me the film is just you're waiting for that body swap moment where Vince Vaughn is a teenage girl and the the second that that transition happens you're you're like yes
1: were in it. although i do think the um i do think the opening is terrific as well
0: yeah of vince Vaughn murdering I, people
1: yeah yeah i thought that was sh- that was great what's next um what's next okay so i uh, rewatched. this is the second time i've ever seen it the death of stalin um, which is Armando Iannucci's retelling of, a comic retelling of the death of Stalin. Now, this is much less funny the second time I've found. Now, all the things I liked about it the first time are still there. The cast is amazing and the trick of what they're doing, like just letting them speak however they're going to speak, fuck all the accents. And um, Jason Isaacs, particularly, is very funny in this film. Michael Palin, also very funny. Um, but, it, like, and it, yeah, they're basically riffing on just when you put a little bit of distance between you and it how bizarre uh, Stalin's cult of personality was you know just that whole state of affairs was fucking crazy but i don't know i th- i was trying to think why i found it sort of less funny this time around and i th- it must have something to do with um i watched well i like most of the fucking world i watched um what's it called uh, Chernobyl in the interim yeah and chernobyl kind of shows you the The bizarre shit from the uh, Soviet Union as well, but it's just not funny. It's just too fucking crazy. And for some reason, yeah, that darkness just, I found it tougher to generally laugh at it. Like, there's a very memorable sequence in the film, I'm sure you'd remember it, is uh, when uh, they basically kill all of Stalin's house staff.
0: Yeah, it is. It's a dark, dark film. I've only seen, I saw it in the cinema, and that was I haven't revisited it, but I remember of course it was funny, but it is like, it's bleak. It's very bleak oh, yeah. as it
1: should be. It's bleak as all. Holy hell, yeah. All right, what else? Give me something.
0: So, the next thing I watched was uh, well, speaking of high concept fair, like Freaky, I also watched uh, a Spanish film from director Oriol Paulo, 2018's Durante la Tormenta. Oh. Which in English is titled Mirage.
1: I've not even heard of this.
0: Ah, oh, it's billed as a mystery drama, but it's basically Frequency meets The Notebook. Okay. So, as you can imagine, it's 100% up my alley.
1: <laughs> frequency. It's, uh, yeah, you, we've talked about
0: Frequency before. Oh, we before. Did. Yes, I started, yes, yes. I've started uh, actually watching the TV series of Frequency as well.
1: <laughs> There's a TV I'm series? I'm obsessed
0: with this genre. Yeah, so it was a film in 2000, and then it was adapted into a TV series in 2017, which got cancelled after one season. I'm I'm currently making my way through that as well. I don't know why it is. I'm into time travel. I'm into parallel. Well, if you're going to be watching Spanish time travel and, things, cetera, cetera.
1: you do best to revisit it. I've already watched Chrono Cream. Oh, did you?
0: Yeah, 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 I've watched it before. Uh, but that's good, yeah, that's the kind of thing I'm into, 100%, that type of thing. Primer. yeah. Things like that. But anyway, so this film, this film, uh, Mirage in English, is not without its faults, but it's, it's got time travel of a sort, a mystery, sci-fi ele- elements, an effective love story. It's on Netflix, although that's not where I saw it. But I've been meaning to check out Oriol Paulo's films for a while, and this one was the first one. What I else has he done? To El Cuerpo, aka The Body, and uh, Contra Tiempo with Mario Casas, which is called The Invisible Guest in English.
1: Hmm. I've not heard of any of these.
0: Yeah, he's uh, he's also he made a Netflix series last year. I think it's like a Harlan Coben or whatever he's called uh, ser- novel adaptation. Hmm. He makes like kind of thrillery type things, quite high concept stuff. That it's yeah, it's, I liked. I really enjoyed this film Mirage. It was I thought it was great. Cool,
1: I'll check it out.
0: And it's on the old Netty flip. Nice.
1: I one morning very early with a baby in hand i said okay i need something to keep me awake i'm gonna so i was looking through my dvd collection and i said uh, oh i've never actually watched the extended cuts of uh, the lord of the rings so I, <laughs> oh dear and God. i just no i just figured because i would seen them so many times i hadn't watched them in years just because i watched them to death when they came out they were a very big deal for me when they came out um, but I've never actually watched the extended cuts so uh, yeah I threw on the fellowship of the ring and then over the course of three mornings I watched the extended cuts of the fellowship and the two towers um and a th- I got I, I I've ended up so I started listening to an Excellent. Couldn't recommend it highly enough. I've currently found it on YouTube, but it's officially on Audible. The audiobook of Lord of the Rings, it's like it's honestly it's the best audiobook of anything I've ever listened to. And I also been reading this book called um Anything You Can Imagine, which is ian Nathan's book about Peter Jackson seeing it through and um like from start to finish. And just like in general like i do i i think the films are really good they're obviously laughable at certain points i i i don't think anything like the extended cuts has been done on any other movie which is basically it's not the director's cut jackson would say that the the films you saw in the cinema are the director's cut this is genuinely just a film for if you would if you fancy more if you fancy more of it um, and they just expand on it nicely. Everybody gets nice little character moments. There's not. It's that's one very interesting thing. There's very few complete extra scenes. It's little extra cuts in certain scenes.
0: But you watched the entire trilogy. No, I didn't. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch trilogy.
1: Return of no. the King uh, this week though. But the thing that like, and I, I I did really enjoy him. But I was just thinking of it. I hadn't seen them in years. First of all, so I was enjoying them on that level. But I was also thinking, my God. I mean, they're one of what he what he managed love him or hate him it's one of the greatest fucking achievements in filmmaking it's like like because particularly when you read the story he got people to sign off on the three films being filmed at once which was a big enough risk the fact that he pulled it off they like fantasy films before the lord of the rings just i mean you're talking about mostly things like ridley scott's legend they all just looked ridiculous but he filmed this like kind of history for one thing everybody encouraged everybody to give like realistic performances and it says in the book as well like there was no stars in it because there'd be a distraction and he really felt on the shoot that everybody was giving it their all etc but I think I genuinely think what resulted from that I don't think you would have like the Marvel Cinematic Universe for example if the Lord of the Rings trick wasn't properly pulled off because it just demonstrated yeah, that's fair. the like the longevity of attention span that audiences actually had. You know, they didn't like it, 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 the fact that they could hook people in for three three hour movies. The, the theatrical cuts are all three hours. Uh, movies each was like it was unheard of i think it be like it would you could even argue that it would have had a big impact on the televisual world you know and people like, like well f- for sure there's no game of thrones if there's no lord of the rings trilogy like that's just uh, for sure but i think generally it just demonstrated that no audiences are not thick they don't need you to rejig every every time you start again we can we they can get on board with stuff so i'm really enjoying that i am and i'm gonna Uh, carry on with it uh, but i won't bore you with the return of the king next week i promise
0: thank you i was never a big fan of the lord of the rings films maybe i should revisit them at some point but i watched the first one in the cinema i liked it second one i saw in the cinema as well and i was maybe hung (laughs) over but i really really had a hard time with that one The Twin Towers, it wasn't, uh, it was
1: not enough. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't believe Peter Jackson let Oliver Stone step in to direct the second part. It was odd, that. Yeah,
0: and the third one, I think I... Uh, watched on DVD or something. I was already out at that
1: point. Yeah, yeah, I like, yeah. Jesus. I mean, that's the uh, thing. Just, thing I, is, like, I, have every...
0: I haven't seen any of The Hobbits.
1: Everything people lampoon about those films is there. It's not unfair lampooning. Like, there's plenty gay subtextery. There are a million endings to the third film that I remember, and I'm about to watch a, a four-hour four cut of it, so who knows how many fucking endings Jesus. there are in that. But, like, yeah, least like I said, it's totally... it's. I hate the Harry Potter films. I like the Harry Potter books. I hate the Harry Potter films. But for certain people that they are huge and fair enough they like it's a but for me Lord of the Rings was huge but now at a distance watching it and what they managed to achieve with it is, is fairly spectacular.
0: Well, the last thing I watched is something that I believe you turned your back on.
1: Yes, and I'm sickened. And do
0: something else. I went to the cinema to see Black Widow.
1: Now, would you like to hear about Black Widow? I would like to hear about Black Widow a lot. I
0: promise I'm not going to. Okay, I'll, I'll say. I'll say. First things first. Uh, the cinema. So that I, obviously I went to the cinema yeah. to watch this. Although it is available in your local blockbuster, but I think we should support Kate Shortland and Disney. I think the, this little fledgling company of Disney needs your support. So you should definitely give your money to them. Yes. But if you choose not to, the film is already because I think they released it on Disney Plus with a fee.
1: Is it on Blockbuster in Blockbuster Which, because I would
0: Yep, it is. It sh- definitely
1: sh- is. T- you you Andy, get
0: a VHS tape at Blockbuster. Tell me what you know? I should do. What do you mean? Should you watch in the cinema? Yes. Um okay, so so I'll say this. First things first, the, the cinema is my only real exposure to modern video advertising except for 5-second YouTube YouTube ads and it in the united kingdom i've lived outside the uk for years mm. so coming back yeah, it's it crazy never there. ceases to amaze me the shite that marketers are putting into people's heads yeah like it is obscene just the insanity anyway that's another point i just that was the first thing that i experienced of this of going to the cinema although i did go and see uh i went to the cinema a couple of weeks ago but mm. just the utter shite that is being put into people's heads anyway moving on to the film after having seen Kate Shortland's other three films, I'd say you can definitely see her fingerprints on it. Uh, my favourite parts of the film were the most Kate Shortlandy parts. There's some beautiful ex- uh, exterior shots, especially in Norway. That she does a lot of steady cam close-ups that we've seen in her other films uh, from the floor as well, usually from like a lower perspective looking upwards. That mm. that really work, and also the the quieter moments of character interaction. Yes. Uh, The pacing and plot for me were a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, Performances on the whole, very good. David Harbour is excellent. Yeah, they they have a
1: good um, cast there. Who does David Harbour play again?
0: He is uh, the Red Guardian, I think he's called. He's the father of the family. You've got ScarJo, Florence Pugh, and Rachel Hedden of Ice, who are all solid uh ray winston is a is a baddie and he's playing a russian so you're Uh, in for a bit of a bumpy ride on the accent front but he does carry a lot of threat
1: yeah yeah he he just goes
0: winston yeah Yeah, it's like putting a a sock putting a a snooker ball in a sock (laughs) and swinging it around that's an old school ray winston reference but the film has been i've seen the film being praised for its action scenes but i find those to be the weakest parts overall which is kind of what you would expect
1: yes At this point, Um, that's what I think. I just think
0: the sense of physical geography wasn't particularly clear. I really liked the final uh, action set piece. Oh, really? Uh, Is that the one in the sky? Yeah. Look at that. You haven't even watched the film. Uh, Yeah, you you can just tell by the trailer. It's in in the sky. Yeah. It's all up in the sky. But yeah, I, 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 I like to... I'll watch... At this point, I'll watch anything that the mcu puts out i have faith yes. in them apart from falcon and winter soldier which i didn't particularly enjoy i'm really enjoying loki again another great episode of loki this week yes. so and and also bear in mind it should be noted i'm someone who likes thor too the dark world well,
1: so as a, I,
0: it's hard to disappoint me
1: as long-term I mean, listeners to this podcast will know i, I uh, re-watched and reassessed Thor: the dark world and i actually thought yeah yeah it's just fine it's it's okay it's nowhere near as bad as i remembered should i go to the cinema to see this if
0: you have disposable income then yes if you feel poor you should go to your local blockbuster
1: Hmm. it's interesting i imagine the local blockbuster copy probably costs more than the cinema <laughs> I don't <know. laughs>
0: depends on your blockbuster. I don't know. I mean it's it's another big Marvel film. It's I don't know what your screen is like in your house. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. Like that no, no, no. I'll,
1: I will I no, will I'll be going to see this in the cinema, no doubt. Um
0: Here you'll be with people vomiting all ah, around you. Stop, no one no. vomited near me. I'll, I
1: don't know about it in Spain, but here in the UK the, the cinemas
0: never been better. Because it, you know, it's like limited numbers, mm. so they block off seats, they block off rows, so you have like two chairs either side of you free.
1: Was it in uh, IMAX? Did you go to see this in IMAX?
0: No, I'm not. I'm not made of money.
1: Ah, very much. So, how many times do you think you've seen Terminator Two by this point?
0: I haven't watched it for a long time, but like, yeah, a lot of times. I did. It's the kind of thing I watched on on an actual VHS yeah. many
1: years ago. Me too. I haven't seen it in many years, um, and I watched it just this morning, uh, I, because I was reading, and I also I happened to listen to a podcast about it, um, people talking about like how it's just one of the most uh, pitch-perfect screenplays, like they teach it all the time, and I was like, well, how does that work? So I just saw it. I had to be up early this morning after Conor McGregor made a disgrace of himself in Las Vegas. I uh, I stuck on Terminator 2, And, um, like, yeah, full on, really enjoyed it. It helped uh, the fact that I hadn't seen it in years because it is a genuinely thrilling film. But I was watching out for what people are genuinely talking about. And, like, I have to say, it's amazing. You should check it out with this in mind. For a two-hour, 20-minute film, there's not a bit of fat on it. Like, every...
0: Yeah, that's why I remember, is it's fast-moving, propulsive...
1: Every scene um... means something to the plot. Everything. Like, it's, like, everything, should, like, there's things I hadn't noticed before, but watching it for uh, for this particular reason I just picked up on. It's like when they're getting away from the um, mental hospital um, with Sarah Connor in the back, and he turns off the lights of the car, and then you just learn in a split second that he's able to see in the dark and comes relevant later. Like, it's just, it's just great. Um, And, like, yeah, pretty much ju- just for that, it's worth it alone. Also, as well, like... Um, the T one thousand has got to be one of the all time great screen villains. He's a force of nature, Robert Patrick. Yeah, and it's legend. it still works like really for all the like the film won um, the visual effects Oscar, obviously. Um, and for all the effects shots in it, I'd say the the pro it's probably about five minutes of the entire runtime. I would imagine, like it's not much the effect shots in it, but they're so effective, particularly you know when he he. Wrenches open the elevator and uh, Schwarzenegger shotguns him Mm. in the face. That is amazing. Like, still, it is fucking incredible that. As good as all of those movies were, uh, none of them were as good. It's one of those happy weeks. None of them was as good as what we ended up watching for the podcast, for me anyway. Uh, I absolutely loved it.
0: I think we should point out that uh, there is uh, a small connection between terminator 2 judgment day and the film we watched this week 1973's the long goodbye directed by robert altman
1: yeah that's right because it features a very early both in los angeles that's in los angeles that's it yes Mm -hmm. that's the only connection no we are of course talking about a a, an appearance in the long goodbye of a very young arnold schwarzenegger who looks good
0: he does look he he looks delicious i would say because he gets his uh, he gets his kit off
1: he does get his kid off. He makes all the other henchmen look terrible. He does.
0: That uh we'll we'll get to that eventually in the mm. plot, but the bad guy from this film is let's just say his methods are unorthodox.
1: Yeah. And like improvised a little, I think. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It does not
0: it doesn't feel like it's well thought out, but No, well, no, no. Good
1: luck good luck to the guy, I say. But how did you get on with this?
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed this film and I think it really surprised me in a similar way to paths of glory last week where i could see it as an important building block in film that had it that's had an impact on on later films Mm. so for example watching this it immediately made me think of the the shame black noirs of the 2000s Kiss, kiss bang bang and uh the nice guys with frank gosling and russell crowe and apparently paul thomas anderson is a big fan of this i still haven't watched inherent vice but i watched a little youtube video which put scenes together of the long goodbye and some of anderson's other films Mm. and showed how there was some similarities between them
1: yeah i would say the long goodbye informed inherent vice an awful lot it's a better film as well for sure think it's generally agreed upon inherent vices like uh, a lesser Anderson work let's say but yeah you like w- w- I must ask you like okay so there's clearly satire going on in the long goodbye and I would have only discovered I confess through reading that m- much of that is basically th- they're kind of it there Apparently, Altman was going for something a little bit fish out of water with uh, the way he um, portrayed Philip Marlowe. Like, he's basically supposed to be 40s Marlowe in the 70s. Would you have picked up on that had you not read it?
0: I wouldn't. I Again, I all I knew about it was that they had transported the character. They moved the story, moved it forward to the 1970s. So some of the changes that that they made were because things had now become cliché. Yes, I mean, I think importantly for me, even watching this many, many years later, f- almost fifty years later, it was still funny. Elliot Gould is funny, yes. which to me was a shock. I I haven't seen Mash. Mm. We'll, we can we can talk a little about Robert Altman, but yeah, so I haven't seen Mash. When I think of Elliot Gould, I think of Friends. He's mm. Jack Geller. I think of uh, the Ocean's films. I see him as is that character that's a bit more kind of. I don't know. Nebbish. Is that the word? Like he's played up the kind of Jewish stereotype a bit more. Whereas in this, he's like the cool Jew. He's got his little, his little kind of fro. He's, Mm. uh, he's constantly, he, the way he carries himself, he is really cool. But in in an almost, I don't know. He's, he's, uh, he's not winning. He, (laughs) he's, he's kind of falling apart. He's chain smokes the entire film. He's drinking a lot. He's at that he's at that turning point in his life where like he will just his body will start to fall apart. But he's at he's at his absolute peak of uh, coolness.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think like as well, like gold is funny in it. But I think you'll know exactly what I mean when I say this. You can also just tell that Altman is a funny filmmaker. Yeah. he's pl- he's playing the whole time like there's each scene just is bursting with so much life and so much little incidents there's a very there's a real just lively sequence when Sterling Hayden returns home in this and he's playing with his dogs that is just like I mean it's really taking a line for a walk and it's manic and by, like when you're playing that much and MASH is full of stuff like this so is McCabe and Mrs. Miller um, shortcuts even despite how dour that film is often Um, yeah he's just he's playing with the story with the actor is like he was a famous improviser although in the in the case of this of course a lady called lee brackett who wrote the script for other um raymond chandler books back in the day she like a lot of people like you can take i i don't know who wrote mash but i know the person who wrote mash was not happy with uh, how much altman improvised around the story Mm. but he would just do he was he was a playful filmmaker and you can just you you can tell it like that it seems like the sort of film where rather than and I don't know is this true, I'm just uh, guessing here that rather than doing so, like loads of takes and so forth, they just kept the camera rolling and asked people to do it again and try something different. It's just because it just brims with life, and I think you can't help but run into funny moments in that. I also think that how full of life it is really helps uh, the like um, make the violence as shocking as it should be when the violence happens
0: apparently from what i read that was something that altman really wanted to portray in the film was that there's a reality to the violence of this world there are consequences to this it's not just apart from this kind of cool private eye 50s vibe transported to the 70s the 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 violent i mean the one violent scene which is
1: the, we'll get to the it but bad, yeah wow
0: we'll get it the baddie smashes a coke bottle on his girlfriend's face i honestly i felt sick watching
1: yeah. that. it's amazing it isn't made it? me
0: feel physically ill it is um un- like it's very very powerful
1: yeah yeah it's completely twisted i agreed um reminds me of uh david simon's tv show the deuce just that um like you know the, the like the he executes it perfectly in the first episode, just that contrast between like the image of the gangster and the image of the pimp, and then you just see, okay this 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 is a and a sociopath, this person's insane and it's horrific um where how where how much Altman have you seen before? Where do you land on Altman?
0: I haven't seen a massive amount. Um, I was thinking about this, I may have watched the McCabe and Mrs. Miller a long time ago and Nashville possibly, uh, ages ago, I can't remember. Mm. I've seen Popeye, I've seen the amazing Popeye, <laughs> yes, one of the me greatest too. films of all time. I've seen uh, The Player, pret porter or pret Porte. porter um, I might have seen Shortcuts, I've seen The Gingerbread Man, Gosford Park, but there are massive amounts of his 70s and 80s work that i haven't seen because there was a period where he was basically making a film every year
1: yeah he's very if you look through his filmography it's yeah it's it's quite it's quite prolific yeah he would just move around and make movies that was his um that was his buzz um i've seen good altman's i've seen bad altman's um like for me, an absolute peak would be to be honest, it would be probably be the Long Goodbye or McCabe and Mrs. Miller. I, I really really love both of those films. I'm not a big fan of Shortcuts. It's it's all it's just too much for me. With like it is intensely dour that film. Um, a, a lot of people have a lot of love for it. Um, uh, yeah, I would never watch that again. Um, but, for example, something like MASH. I've seen MASH quite a lot. I've seen Nashville once or twice, and I would love to watch it again. But it's a, it's a big, long movie. It's a big ask. And you want to watch Nashville in one sitting as well. That's the thing with his films, actually. It's that you're, they're, they're so moody that, like, for example, I started watching The Long Goodbye... And I watched the first fifteen minutes before my baby threw a tantrum, and I like I, I I but instead of just picking up at that point the next day, I just started from the start because they are very moody. You do need to get into them, you know. the The dialogue is delivered in a different way. You always feel like you're missing something, and you probably are because there's so much going on in all of them, and they're not paced like. I movies watched ever. it with
0: the subtitles on, definitely for this one. I'm happy because I don't yeah. know if I I went to my local blockbuster for this and. I don't know if it was a result of the 1970s and of filming techniques, but it felt like a lot of the audio had been looped, like
1: yeah, ADR'd well, He was big on lines, that.
0: Yeah, because some of it, like Elliot Gould is, is talking to himself, and you yeah. see the back of his head, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure his lips are, I'm pretty sure his mouth wasn't moving at all during this, where he's talking to, I gotta go to, gotta go to the pet store, buy cat food for this cat.
1: Yeah, there's just um, like he was the first time I um, I remember I I would have gotten introduced to Robert Altman by I read this book maybe you've read it Easy Riders Raging Bulls Yeah I have seventy it. cinema Yeah um, right. I've read I've read that a couple of times anyway but so the, obviously that film just give that book just gives you a great list of films that you should be watching so I plugged immediately into Mash and it like Mash is almost an all out, no it is it's an all out comedy but. The, like this it's still an altman film so this the the sound is kind of like people are miked very evenly you know what i mean like the mm. background is is giving equal precedence to the dialogue you right. really have to lean in to get everything that's going on and there's so many long takes that are just zooming in and out like uh, uh, like that's a big thing in MASH as well and it's, it's really, the first time I, I watched it I remember it really put me off, I was like oh, I'm not a fan of this and I eventually got into it and now something, particularly something like McCabe and Mrs. Miller or some of the, the way they use zoom and focus in this, I just think it's amazing what he could do with like fucking analog systems, you know analog sound yeah. systems and lenses and stuff, he was a real craftsman
0: and this, this film guy. was like 48 years ago
1: <laughs> yeah, right so it's a long Oi. time. It is, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, I would like. I'm Altman is somebody I'm always intending to watch more of his stuff. I mean, that said, if you've seen a bad Altman, you're like, whoa, Jesus, that will swallow me whole. Like, I'm not a big fan of this. Uh, Brewster McCloud. Uh, I watched that recently enough, and I did not enjoy that. Um, and of course, Popeye. The the story behind what happened with Popeye and Robert Evans. In, Uh, importing loads of cocaine onto malta uh, is probably
0: filmed in malta
1: yeah yeah, it's probably more famous than the story itself uh than the film itself but um anyway actually if you want full details on that story you should watch the documentary about evans the kid stays in the picture which is a very good one so do you know much about what went into the making of this
0: no i don't know what do you know tell me what you know i'll tell you some of the things i know it had a budget of 1.7 million But it was a bit of a flop at the old box office. It grossed under a million. The Mm. critical reception wasn't great at first. It was a bit negative. Siskel and Ebert were fans. The studio pulled the film and then re-released it. And uh, the uh, reception was, was better. Pauline Kael was a big fan.
1: Yeah. I mean I think this is this is very definition new Hollywood um because people had come to expect certain things of Hollywood movies mm-hmm. and this is it just not giving you what you want here. Um be, well essentially I suppose because Marlowe's a bit of a bum he's a loser you know. Um oh, yeah what's and, your
0: what's your familiarity with uh any of the Raymond Chandler novels or like the like you know Philip Marlowe Humphrey Bogart playing him
1: and I have read none. I have seen The Big Sleep. And I enjoyed it. So
0: Lee Lee Brackett wrote the screenplay for that. And that was directed by Howard Hawks. That's right. And actually Howard Hawks was offered the chance to make
1: this film as well. That's right. It was uh, floated around to a few different directors, I understand. It took
0: years and years to put this together. I mean, this was one of the two novels that hadn't been filmed at the time of Chandler's death.
1: Yeah. And it's. Like, it's int- It's actually, if you read a little bit about um, the making of it, Kim Newman wrote a very interesting article about it in Sight and Sound years ago, which I was able to uh, dig out on the internet. Um, and uh, w- w- watch my- honestly, if you just Google Kim Newman, long goodbye, Sight and Sound, you'll run into it. It's nice to for once hear a story of a, an, a writer who is excited about a director messing around with the material, you know? You hear so many stories about writers griping about them messing with their screenplay, but Lee Brackett had been shopping her screenplay for a while, and she visited uh, Robert Altman for a week or so on the set of images and was just delighted about it. They would spend the week having long conversations and hashing out the screenplay and how they would update it and stuff that they would cut out because the book was too long and planning to improvise, like basically saying... yeah we'll we'll plan around that we'll work around that and there's plenty more good stories about like improvising on on the set of this as i said before i'm relatively sure that scene that involves arnold schwarzenegger must have been improvised because it's just so mad i can't imagine it being written and like by all accounts almost anything between elliot gold and sterling hayden was improvised because sterling hayden was uh, all boozed up and stoned yeah
0: Hayden, uh, sterling hayden was a bit of uh uh, a bit of a madman. I don't think we really delved into that when we talked about him on the Killing episode.
1: No, I don't think we did. But, I mean, I think you'd only have to watch the long goodbye to properly pop him into one of those categorizations yeah. of just he is who he is. I and think let's this film is him.
0: closer to who he really is than yeah. his earlier appearances in the 50s. Well,
1: he's, a, he's, a, he's a madman in this. And yeah, it mm. just seems real. You believe it.
0: This film uh, also features a score from John Williams, pre-Spielberg. It was the year before he That's worked right. on uh, Sh- uh, Sugar Express, and he co-wrote yeah. two songs.
1: Well, he was, he's a jazz penis originally, goodbye. which a lot of people don't know.
0: Jazz penis.
1: Yes, he was a jazz penis. And, uh, and uh, Lee,
0: Lee Brackett, who wrote the screenplay, she's got screenplay credit on uh, Empire Strikes Back.
1: Really? Yeah,
0: but apparently her original draft, her screenplay, they basically threw everything out, but still yeah. gave her a credit.
1: No, I do. Like, I've heard that the, I think the Empire Strikes Back was chucked out uh, to, in in totality once or twice. Mm. And, yeah, because so, yeah.
0: at first it had, like, this private eye character. <laughs> Going around the Death Star, trying to solve a mystery. I
1: would watch, would watch that movie. A, yeah, a that private would be great. investigator would in the that. Star Wars universe. I would like. They've done the. They're doing the western. Everybody's enjoying it. I want to see the science. the well, the space opera private eye. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. That'll be good.
0: And there must be. Surely, there's something like that in the works.
1: Oh, surely. Star Wars must be going going down that route. They've done it. Definitely, else. it's happening for sure. And Absolutely. well, if and if it does happen, folks, you heard it here first on the Call It Friendo podcast.
0: Do you have anything else to say before cast to cast?
1: Um, no, just uh, like the shooting in general. I mean, it's a very Los Angeles film. I, I think as, like, as Los Angeles as you'll get barring something like maybe Repo Man. Um, and I think, like, fair enough, I think um, for the uh, uh, Sterling Hayden's house um, in the film, that's actually Robert Altman's house yeah, down it's in Altman's Malibu. House, right. It's nice. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And feels like very lived in, etc. But in general, though, like, this is what you get from filming on location, right? Like, first of all, this does it like nothing seems arranged as you're watching it. And I put a lot of that down to how Altman directs his actors as well. But it just feels like, oh, this was what Los Angeles was like in the 1970s. How interesting. And also, you see that like,
0: yeah, were the Mexico scenes filmed in Mexico? The Mexican were filmed in Mexico. I yeah, they were like yeah, they it were, was yeah. nice again to get that slice of life of uh,
1: yeah, of just what, to, you
0: know, a small Mexican town looked like at that time.
1: Exactly, just to get to make a trip in the 1970s. You know, that's I love that stuff. Absolutely yeah. love it. Um, anyway, go on. Let's get into cast.
0: So obviously we've got uh, Elliot Gould as Philip Marlowe. He's a cool loser. As I've mentioned, pretty much everything about him. He has his has his uh, Jufro. He smokes the entire film. He did mash with with Altman, and nowadays he's probably best known as Jack Geller from Friends and the Ocean's mm. films. Apparently, he was in the Friends reunion as well. He's still alive. Enemy of the. Well, show. He was in the
1: audience. Um, yeah, he was in the audience of. The oh, Friends he was in the reunion. audience, was he?
0: I still haven't watched that, and probably never will.
1: Uh, yeah, Ellie Gould you don't need at the
0: to. time, Ellie Gould at the time of the making of the film, he was signed on to deal with uh, United Artists, and they had they that was part of making this film was that he was kind of part and parcel and uh he was in the the acting doghouse at the time because he'd been fired from a film called uh uh, a glimpse of tiger which was never made uh, because apparently he was acting like a real weirdo with his co-star and argued with the director anthony harvey i think it was um so that film fell apart and yeah, nobody wanted to work with Elliot Gould.
1: I had not heard that until story. this.
0: But yeah, I think he's excellent. I can see why he would have been cast in in these type of films. Of being, you know, he's funny. He's funny. He's a funny guy. He's got funny bones.
1: He is. Yeah. Um, he and he's cool. D- like delivers his dialogue nice and snappily, and he's also got an interesting face. You know, he I just mean, car- the seventh-
0: carries himself. He carries himself in a way where nothing phases him like he's just got this kind of smirking yes. quality throughout that it. it's just you're you want to spend time with him you're you're you know it works as a centerpiece Yeah to, the
1: interrogation to the scene film. is terrific for that yeah, Just there's
0: there. a there's that one scene which is improvised where he t- he takes the he's been fingerprinted. Oh and yeah, he's and he in the room faces. and he's he 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 uses the ink on his fingers to yeah to like blackface himself and he starts talking. He's like, I'm gonna start singing Swanee. He's like, Hey, I'm I'm, I'm Al Jolson. I think that might not pass muster. Forty eight no. years later. You but might get it, in trouble for that.
1: There's an example of like it's really funny. That it's that's just. It is it, funny, it and it's funny because Gold is funny. Is funny. Like he's yes. a funny person n- for no it's other funny reason. Funny yeah, he's gay. got he's got good funny energy. You know, uh, like mm-hmm. that's the thing is like. So I mean, these days an awful lot of comedies have wandered down um, this rabbit hole of just he- heavy improvisation, and many of them overkill it. But like, if you look at like Altman's film, and I'll say it, yeah particularly something like the long goodbye which does have a pl- uh, like a, a lot of plot to get out but the like improvisational approach to the filmmaking helps it so much and like getting funny people like that like that whole ethos that the jodo pato crew uh, crew work with like if somebody could like i don't know funnel that into a serious kind of a story i think you get something like the long goodbye and El- elliot gold is well able in that department
0: I think his real name is uh, is actually, like, Elliot Elliot Goldstein. <laughs> and he changed it to Elliot oh, Goldstein.
1: Oh, it's one of those that's, that's
0: sad, sad times, though. That it that, is sad, yes. needed to do.
1: Who else is having a so, crack in this?
0: Well, Eileen Wade, the lady who seems English in the film. Is she supposed mm. to be English? I she believe so. She has, like, so. a sort of weirdly English accent, but it's clear that she's not. I, I was the whole time trying to place her. I couldn't... I was like, why have I never seen this actress before? Why do I not know who she is? The reason for that is is Nina Van Pallant, Baroness Nina Van Pallant. Oh. She's Danish. She married Frederick Baron von Pallant. Uh They were married for many years. He eventually was assassinated. He was okay. killed, I think, in the Philippines, somewhere like that. He was uh, eventually murdered because he was in a big uh, kind of gang feud. So she had, a, her and her husband had a bit of a crazy life. They formed a singing duo, Nina and Frederick, and achieved worldwide popularity with their Calypso-style songs. And she appears as a singer on the soundtrack of uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service.
1: Wow, this is good trivia.
0: And uh, Nina Van Palant appears as a character... In a 2006 Lass Hallstrom film, The Hoax, where she's played by Julie Delpy, it uh, recounts Clifford Irving's elaborate hoax of publishing an autobiography of Howard Hughes that he claims that he helped write without ever having talked to Hughes. And that stars Richard Gere. I've never even heard, I hadn't heard of that before.
1: I hadn't the heard hoax. of that film and I hadn't heard of that story, but it's all very interesting yeah, no. to me. Yeah, so apparently
0: it's a, apparently a decent film. So oh. she played uh, Eileen Wade, the wife of Roger Wade, played by Sterling Hayden. So yes. bit of background of Sterling Hayden. I don't think we talked about this before, but Hayden dropped out of high school at the age of 16 and took a job as mate on a schooner. And after serving as sailor and fireman on larger vessels and sailing around the world several times, he was awarded his first command at age 22. Wow. He worked undercover in World War Two. He was an OSS agent called John Hamilton, and his World War II service included sailing with supplies from, from Italy to Yugoslav partisans and parachuting into fascist Croatia.
1: Wow. Okay. So he was
0: doing mad World War II stuff.
1: Yes, he was. Undercover.
0: He was, he was doing all James Bond things.
1: You see, this is how you got such good actors in the post-war generation, because they were yeah. just not impressed by anything. It's an actual They're, actor.
0: Th- well, he, also, he had to act as another person to not die. Yeah like, right.
1: Yeah yeah yeah. We need to
0: get the best actor. So Have you ever no seen bit- a man eat his own head?
1: <laughs> then you haven't seen everything. Then you haven't seen everything. Uh, yeah, that, like it just it, it, well, much like our good friend Timothy Carey. It's like if you've yeah, actually, a good, good friend, if you've actually lived enough to not be impressed by being on a film set, it's it's good for your performance, I think.
0: Mm. So out of respect for uh, communist partisans at the end of World War II, Sterling Hayden became a communist. And oh, no. Within a, <laughs> within a couple of years, he realized uh, that he had made a huge mistake. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he realized he'd got a bit carried away. So he immediately uh, named names, cooperated Yay. with uh um, Kazan and, and McCarthy and, and yeah, all of them a lot. <laughs> and said I, I've made I've made a huge mistake a huge Job style mistake
1: oh that's and, funny uh, yeah yeah he
0: immediately uh said fuck communism he have you ever seen that life,
1: footage uh of, sorry just to interject have you no, ever seen yeah. that footage of uh alia kazan being wheeled out on the stage at the at the oscars by robert de niro and Martin yeah, Scorsese. yeah yeah i
0: think we talked and, about it in another episode
1: oh right and like loads of people like refuse to clap and it's like sorry <laughs> i didn't realize you were a card-carrying commie ed harris yeah uh but anyway you have to be it's, it's funny have to go be. on
0: so Hayden considered himself primarily a writer and sailor more than actor. He often professed a uh, distaste for film acting, saying that he did it mainly to pay for his ships and voyages. In 1958, after a bitter divorce from his wife, Betty Ann Noon, Hayden was awarded custody of his children. He defied a court order and sailed from San Francisco to Tahiti with all four children.
1: What a baller. That's
0: our island. Just imagine what he was greeted with.
1: My God.
0: Good old Tahiti.
1: I mean, that is qu- that is quite a move, isn't it?
0: Yeah, so he was like a mad sailor. I, he yeah. that was 1958, so that's like around the time of the killing. That's like a few years after the killing.
1: And as you correctly observed on this, all this podcast stuff. before, Andy, I'm a boaty man. I like boats, the idea of them. Me I've too. never really sailed one. I just like the idea of being a boaty man. Yeah. So this makes me like him I even think more.
0: I should... I think I should sail the world as well. I agree. Yeah. So this film came out uh, 1973. It was the year after The Godfather, which he was in. And I, as I say, Very I feel memorable. like I'm. I'm guessing that this Roger Wade character is closer to the reality of Sterling Hayden, because I can I can envision him as a man who perhaps enjoyed a couple of a couple of beers.
1: Yeah, and uh, I mean. It- he seems to certainly be channeling a little bit of Ernest Hemingway as well while he's at it. Yeah. I'm I'm sure that informed uh, the character a little bit.
0: Mm, and he's got a great big bushy beard.
1: He does have a great big bushy beard, and thank God for it.
0: So next up, we've got Mark Rydell as uh, Marty Augustine Dabadi. I was not. Uh, he's also uh, Mark Rydell should be noted enemy of the show as well. He's still alive. Oh, right. He Fuck him. He was a very accomplished, or is a very accomplished film director. I have seen none of his films. He was Oscar nominated for On Golden Pond with Henry Fonda in 1981. you seen that?
1: On Golden Pond. I have a odd Norm Macdonald bit of um, trivia related to that. Would you like to hear it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Are you going to do it in
0: the voice? Or? <laughs>
1: no, no, no. Uh, at the Bob Saget roast, famously Norm Macdonald... Um, told anti-jokes, um, just like...
0: Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very funny. It's very good if you ever track it down. But a lot of people there just didn't get it, what he was trying to do. He was undermining the concept of a roast, basically. And um, Jim Norton uh, got up and said, um, God bless you, Norm. Watching your set was like watching Henry Fonda pick blueberries. To which Norm immediately replied, I don't think there's one of us here who wouldn't like to watch Henry Fonda pick blueberries uh that bo- the henry fonda henry fonda picking blueberries is a reference to a scene in on golden pond nice
0: i do remember that i don't know why but yeah that mm. is familiar to me
1: there you go uh, yeah so i was not
0: familiar with mark rydell at all but... that.
1: <laughs> sorry go on
0: yeah yeah i was not familiar with mark rydell at all but he was uh i mean he's like we said before, he had this a, r- a real threat of violence. And, I mean, he commits acts of violence. But then he also has this bizarre part towards the end of the film where he talks about how he, he got naked in front of his girlfriend, that he'd smashed a bottle over her face and ruined her face, and then he got yeah. naked to show that. It all does feel a bit improv, like you said, and then he's getting does, yeah. his, his his goons to get naked as well and gets get Schwarzenegger naked. Um, yeah, it's, he is threatening. But it was interesting yeah, to find out that he wasn't much of an actor.
1: Just more of he a, director. a director. I mean, well, he's, yeah. the only, he's not the only uh, non-actor in the cast. No.
0: no, I guess we can mention another one. We've got Jim Bouton, Jim Bouton, Jim Bouton, 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 who played Terry Lennox, the, the, the character who starts this whole story off. He was not an actor. He was a baseball player. He won the 1962 World Series playing for the uh, New York Yankees.
1: Ah, that means nothing to me
0: me neither i'm aware of baseball is a thing there you are obviously we have arnold schwarzenegger his first call it friendo appearance non-speaking he is absolutely ripped and he's playing a mute gangster but for me my favorite person is uh henry gibson as dr Veringer. i'm a yes. big fan of henry gibson he's great friend of the show friend of the family what what R- what is that a reference to friend of the family
1: the man are you a family? friend of
0: the family no it is henry gibson says this in a film to um william h macy he says are you a friend of the f-? he's drinking in a bar and he says are you a friend of the family
1: ah that's in magnolia
0: yeah 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 yeah
1: classic yeah, yeah. henry gibson it is indeed that's where yeah what else uh would i have seen henry gibson in
0: so henry gibson uh that was a stage name and it's taken from the the name of the Norwegian dramatist Henrik Ibsen. If you say that fast, Henrik Ibsen. Yeah, I wrote the doll's Ibsen. house. There you go. Uh, he did a lot of um, comedy poetry. Henry Gibson, the actor, and apart from that, he was in Nashville. Um, a Perfect Couple in Health. Those were the other three Robert Altman's films. You might know him as the leader of the Illinois Nazis and the Blues Brothers, but for me, he is the baddie from The Burbs, the Joe Dante horror comedy.
1: Oh, yeah, he is. That's a fantastic film. I love that. That's a great Burbs. film, isn't it, yeah, with Tom Hanks? It's really oh, good.
0: I want to watch that again.
1: I, th- I think I saw that last year. We wanted to introduce Bill oh, nice. into it, but yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. It's still, like, it holds up very well, honestly.
0: Yeah, so it's nice to see him. I was like seeing him and stuff. Unfortunately, he is a friend of the show.
1: Oh, He
0: died many years back now. And that's it. That's everyone who appears in this film.
1: All right. Well, talk us partially through the plot there.
0: Yeah, I have a very, very brief plot summary. We can punctuate this with any exciting scenes, but here we go. Yes. I've taken this from a website named Wikipedia. Late one night, private investigator Philip Marlowe is visited by his close friend Terry Lennox who asks for a lift from Los Angeles to the California-Mexico border at Tijuana.
1: Well, That's the I only mean, I'll s- we got to talk about the cat food first, right?
0: We will, we will. We will yeah, well, yeah, I want to... Okay, fine. Okay. Let's go there. Let's start there first. The first 10 minutes of the film is Elliot Gould wandering around his house going like, ah, oh, it's 3 a.m., well, the cat won't eat this disgusting... Thing that I'm mixing together and adding salt to that looked like a, that looked like a crime against animals. While he was yeah. trying to feed to his cat, he's got his nice next door neighbors who are a group of weeds smoking. They're accused of making hash pies. They're doing yoga, and it's one of those things. It reminds me uh, uh, of Anchorman. I think it is where uh, they're talking about yogging I pre- I think it's pronounced yogging.
1: So Is that a verb like, for doing yoga?
0: No, 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 like jogging, but they're, you know, they're doing a joke of like jogging, being new and saying, I think it's jogging. So I, similarly in this, it's like, they're talking about yoga. Like
1: they're oh, doing like this thing, the, yoga,
0: yeah. I think it's called. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you've got Philip Marlowe, Elliot Gould's Philip Marlowe. He lives alone. He has a cat. He's got neighbors, four beautiful women who like to kind of do yoga topless next door. Yeah, and he has the first ten minutes. He's going to the supermarket and buying cat food.
1: Yeah, it's a very famous and celebrated sequence that kind of sets the tone like for it. the film. Yeah, yeah, because it's um, it's just so odd, and but but realistically paced. And he's mumbling away to himself the whole way through it. It's based on a real thing. Apparently, one of, a friend of Altman said his cat would only eat one particular brand of cat food, and Altman Cooley makes the effort. cat food. Curry brand cat food, yeah, um, ends up in the supermarket. Is that a real
0: brand? I was actually close to googling it to check. If I did it was. not google
1: it. I'm not sure. And um, young Afri- African American so- shop steward in in a uh, what he says, "I don't need a cat. I got a girl." I don't need uh, a cat. I
0: got a lady.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which is called. What back I need to, a cat for? Uh, soon after in the in the film, which is yeah, yeah. Uh, great. Of course, implying that Marlowe his cat, which is an odd move. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah it's it's very celebrated anything you read about this film will like zero in on that and it's also if you read any of the negative reviews from back in the day it's just got like it, yeah like
0: the first 10 minutes are just Elliot Gould Wandering around his apartment.
1: Yeah, but they do say that as it just shows uh, Altman was right on the edge of something with the type of films mm. he was making. Because of course, thing like just one or two years later, stuff like this would begin to get really, really celebrated. Stuff like you know when Scorsese pans away from Travis Bickle on the telephone in Taxi Driver. But like there were like they, they still had the old guard of studio heads and the old guard of film critics, Pauline Kael notwithstanding, who were just watching it going, "What is this shit?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, eventually that will turn into one hour of like a Russian wedding, though.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, of course. It'll, I mean, that's that's that's, that's, that's yeah, extreme yeah. danger. It uh, of course, yeah. But I mean, yeah, th- yeah, that is the extreme danger, just as just as much as uh, over improvising in the jodapato Jod- batch of films these days. But like when you have like a craftsman like uh, Altman or somebody of a similar ilk, I would say, or somebody like Mike Lee, who's got good control of his like um, organic mechanisms. If that, if, if if you follow what I'm saying. Um, his knob you're talking about. His knob. Yeah. He's got good control of his knob. It gets hard when he wants it to, um, you know, and it mm. works just fine. Uh, and also like knows how to command a film set, knows when to improvise and when not to. And uh, yeah, I just think, the opening sequence of the Long goodbye is just exemplary in this, because it also like it, it does like there's no way you can watch it and not kind of think of Marlowe as just like he is cool as hell, but he's also a bumbling sort of a loser, but you want we prefer him to everybody else in the film.
0: Yeah, because he's self-deprecating
1: hmm. it's funny. So Terry so- Lennox comes along.
0: Terry Lennox, is mate, I'll just say this. I feel like the whole mystery of the, of the story is paper thin. Yes. It doesn't really matter. Like, Marlowe's a PI. He does, he's not really solving a case.
1: And he's not good at it either. He's, he's not, not doing a good any PI. investigating.
0: No, it just all kind of
1: hmm. it all
0: comes together eventually. But it really doesn't matter. I don't know. There are heavy, heavy changes in the film uh, compared to the book. They definitely took it apart. Altman didn't even fully read the novel, yeah, I heard that. So yeah, that was that wasn't really a concern at the end of the day. And the mystery, yeah. like I, I like mysteries, but here it really didn't matter. It's all. It's very. It's
1: I clear watched what's an interview with him uh, talking about it on the Dick Cavett show, and he basically just gave the two fingers to fans of uh, the uh, Raymond Chandler right. books. He's like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I can imagine the people that yeah were into, like the big sleep or something like that 1946 may have been rather unimpressed with this Philip Marlowe so anyway Terry Lennox Marlowe's mate turns up and it's clear that he has had some problems in his private life and wants to escape to Mexico so Marlowe drives him down to Tijuana which is the only part of Mexico I've ever been to
1: Hmm.
0: and it's a rough town I'll just say that so I've heard on returning home, Marlowe is met by two police detectives who accuse Lennox of having murdered his rich wife, Sylvia. Marlowe refuses to give them any information, so they arrest him.
1: Yeah, he's um, hilariously non-cooperative in those scenes. And um, Elliot Gould's ability to deliver that kind of dialogue shines through very well. Similar, similar tricks to what he pulls off well in um, M.A.S.H., it's it's strange that he got so 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 far from that kind of delivery in his later years. Like he's cartoonish in mm-hmm. in, in Friends, you know, but very like the epitome of cool and wisecracking in the opening of this.
0: After he's jailed for three days, the police release him because they've learned that Lennox has committed suicide in Mexico. The police and the press seem to believe it is an obvious case, but Marlowe does not accept the official facts.
1: Yeah, and neither do we really. So. As you said, though, it doesn't matter.
0: Marlowe is hired by Eileen Way to ask him to find her missing husband, Roger, an alcoholic novelist of writer's block, whose macho Hemingway like persona is proving self destructive, resulting in days long disappearances from their Malibu home. While investigating Eileen's missing husband, Marlowe visits the subculture of private detoxification clinics for rich alcoholics and drug addicts. (laughs) I don't know if that's how I would phrase it. He goes to to a detox clinic. Maybe this was a new concept in 1973. I don't know.
1: Yeah, but also, like, I mean, 1970s Hollywood um, is renowned for... All sorts of quacks when it comes to that kind of treatment, mm. you know. Um, famously, there like there is a sequ- there is a sequence later on in it when his doctor appears to have some sort of a mind control over him, almost, um, which is but, something that was actively being pursued by a lot of doctors of that ilk. So it could be well, like, are, are you who talking knows? about
0: when? Are you talking about later on at the party when Henry yes. Gibson? But isn't that because Henry Gibson's character? Dr. Veringer, was providing him with an alibi for the night when he murdered uh sure He didn't Silverman. murder anyone. Oh, no. Okay, yeah. I yeah, you're right, because it was uh, Terry that did it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think, like, I mean, so Altman would have been, you know, a big Hollywood head, living there a long time and been familiar with all the with shenanigans and goings on. So I think it's possible that he's making a reference to that kind of crack that was happening, all the... Quackery with the uh, head shrinkers and and so forth stuff that famously enough is examined them um, in the book about Charles Manson, Chaos. But I mean, people were aspiring towards mind control, often using psychotropic drugs and uh, trying to I- input triggers into people's brains that would make it do what you want, much like the Manchurian Candidate. Mm-hmm. So I, I do I think there might be some reference to that in there, but it's not. It's just a. Like it, it, it you you could almost think of it as like you know he just heard of uh, his friend whose cat would only eat a particular type of cat food, so he just chucked that in to you know add texture to the to the story. It could be the exact same thing with this that he had just heard of things like this.
0: Marlowe locates and recovers Roger and learns that the Wades knew the Lennoxes socially, and suspects that there is more to Lennox's suicide and Sylvia's murder. Marlow incurs the wrath of gangster Marty Marty Augustine, who wants money returned that Lennox owed him, and threatens Marlow by maiming his own mistress.
1: Yeah, did you in see the that? Words
0: coming? of Wikipedia. I did not, so it's set up in a way of like, you see this, see this gal? She's my guma. I like her, but this is I will facially disfigure her and that's someone I like so think about what I'm gonna do to you
1: yeah I mean it's the way shocking. it's filmed
0: as well there's a kind of slow-mo as he takes this empty coke bottle and smashes it on her face and it is as I said before it made me physically ill like yeah. it, it sickened me
1: it's fairly hardcore alright I mean which is
0: unusual I mean I'm from Scotland normally I like when people have Glass bottles smashed in their faces. That's very much an yeah, I think we mentioned before. I've I've, 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 I've had someone smash a, a pint glass on my head before in the back. You of did my mention head, that, thankfully. yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I, 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 have respect. Game recognized game. But here <laughs> it was. Here it did make me feel ill because she was a, a nice meek character, and yeah. this awful, awful Marty, Marty Augustine. MAMES her.
1: Yeah, it's shocking. It's like um, not a akin nice man. to when um Jack Nicholson gets his nose cut open in Chinatown. And actually much like that film, when this character returns later in the film, she's all bandaged up.
0: He gets his nose sliced open by a pedophile, which is always dangerous.
1: Yes, played by uh, Roman Polanski, isn't he?
0: Yeah, I don't know if the character is a (laughs) paedophile.
1: Just just the actor. I have no
0: idea the details of the character. I'm just just talking about Polanski. After a side trip to Mexico where officials corroborate the details of Lennox's death, Marlowe returns to the Wade house. A party breaks up after an argument over Roger's unpaid bill from the detoxification clinic. Mm-hmm. this is the scene you were talking about of the mind yeah. control of henry gibson coming back and going give me my four thousand four hundred dollars or whatever it is later that night eileen and Marlowe are interrupted when she sees a drunken roger wandering into the sea before they can stop him he drowns yeah. this is a that's like most of the film is already gone at this point <laughs> that's quite yeah. far into the film
1: um wh- like one thing i'll say there as well is the so the first time he is together with um with the, with both of the wades and he is he um he's told to kind of go out and watch the waves for a while while they have a conversation some of the stuff that altman does with the camera <laughs> and the shifting yeah it's great <laughs> is is amazing like just could, like could between watching, reflection yeah, and yeah. focus and the sound yeah, you see it in the, J- the window it's amazing, like it's so. And also, you're uh,
0: watching that, and you're like Elliot Gold. You know, it's very watchable. Like him going and like dicking mm-hmm. around next to the sea. You know, it's going to be like it's worth watching.
1: Yeah, yeah. And like then it, the Sterling Hayden, Sterling Hayden drowning himself is shot similarly. Mm. It's like it, like the action is happening in the background first of all, and then we we like they rush out to him. And also then. Drunk Elliot Gold is uh, fantastic in the follow-up scene. Also, <laughs> I think Alt- Altman is playing very well with uh, the private eye tropes because there's nobody in their right mind watching this who doesn't suspect Mrs. Wade as she wines and dines Marlowe. <laughs> like, you're just yeah. like, you did it. Did you? To- it's you. And your husband is killing, your- killing himself and you're glad. Like, your plan is following yeah. through nicely, you fucking witch yeah i mean oh fair enough her husband is no picnic
0: yeah this is this is the danger of alcohol folks That's what we've learned so this is a this is we are a responsible podcast and we like to inform people about the dangers make a make an informed choice for your life do or you'll become roger wade these are the options
1: a talented writer yes
0: Eileen confesses that Roger had been having an affair with Sylvia and might have killed her. Mm. Marlowe tells us to the police who tell him that Roger's time at the clinic provides an alibi. This is what was confusing me. I did forget that yes. Terry
1: was the murderer. <laughs> but but like, like we said, it just doesn't matter.
0: No, who gives a shit? exactly uh but this uh this uh this scene of roger wade drowning himself in the sea apparently this is not in the in the original novel it's one of the things that was added it's good after visiting augustine whose money has been returned Marlowe sees eileen driving away i think we're missing here in that in this description that when he goes to see augustine this is where uh, yeah. Augustine uh, forces him to, to get undressed or tells him to get undressed. I don't think uh, Elliot Gould doesn't actually get No, naked, he doesn't does comply. He? Everyone else all... <laughs> gets down to their pants.
1: <laughs> exactly. It's, pants. it's brilliant. Big
0: pants as well. Big white fronts.
1: Yeah. It's Respect. hilarious, that scene. Like, it's... Because it's just so fucking bizarre. But it makes, yeah. it like like the way it's delivered it kind of makes sense cuz cuz you're uh, like Marty is just so off the chain you, you know you believe he man. would do something like this like yeah it's it's very funny
0: i think it's all just a cunning ruse to get arnold schwarzenegger into his pants that's all he cares about and i uh, you can i respect that i, respect I think that altman move.
1: i think altman probably pulled way more tricks than he needed to to get arnold schwarzenegger in his pants he was a professional in his pants getter at this time
0: <laughs> which is a good job for anyone to have he came onto the film the reason that schwarzenegger uh was in the film was because he i think he was friends with david arkin who played harry who's the kind of bumbling goon who follows uh Marlo at one point oh Marlo's yeah like trying to help him out and going like hey this is how you're supposed to follow me
1: yeah they have I think, yeah, david arkin
0: was friends with arnold schwarzenegger and got him involved in the film Nice. David Arkin, friend of the show, he died young, unfortunately, committed suicide. He was also in MASH, I think.
1: And he rode. Uh
0: yeah. So that's right. So the money ends up being returned to Augustine who lets Marlo go. Marlo sees Eileen driving away. While running after her, he is struck by a car and hospitalized.
1: Yes, indeed. One of the
0: things that uh, one of the things that Altman said in making this film was that he wanted the camera to constantly be moving.
1: Hmm. Which it is.
0: And it, it is. It's is. <laughs> constantly moving. It is never still at all. So, yeah, similarly, you see this with uh, Marlowe running through the streets of L.A. before getting smashed up by a car. Waking up in the hospital, he's given a harmonica by the heavily bandaged patient in the next bed. He returns to Malibu and finds the wait house being packed up by a real estate company with Eileen gone. She's in the wind,
1: baby. Dun, dun, dun.
0: So he heads on down to Mexico to solve this mystery. He bribes local officials into revealing the truth. They confess to having set up Terry's apparent suicide and reveal he's alive and well in a Mexican villa. Marlowe finds Terry who admits to killing Sylvia and reveals that he's having an affair with Eileen. Roger had discovered the the affair and disclosed it to Sylvia after which Terry killed her in the course of a violent argument. Terry gloats that Marlowe fell for his manipulations causing... Mar- so at this point marlo gets his gun out and boom shoots bang bang me.
1: bang bang and walks away smiling it's great
0: again i'm not a uh, not an expert on uh on the marlo character but i've gotta say surely this is out of character
1: oh well and this is definitely this is something imagine, that was added
0: yeah. to the added to the film that's not in the original novel but i guess gunning him down in a mexican town rhyming baby is not the typical Philip Marlowe approach to things. But he's a nice bit of revenge, Rwenge?
1: It is. It's great. And if I might say, it's like with him shooting Lennox at the end. Okay, I think I think there's a subtext to this film that is much more explicitly stated in Inherent Vice. Inherent Vice is basically about the, let's say, the countercultural movement basically being or it was an orchestration in itself just a grand plan. When is that film set? The the 60s 70s, late 60s mm-hmm. early 70s. Um and uh, like the the counterculture movement being an orchestration of the powers that be themselves, you know, rather than its own thing as it would think. And I think in this film there is something like cuz Altman was a big like hippie type he leaned into that kind of culture and he was like you know he like enjoyed it and so forth and i think there is something to him sort of stating here i i think of elliot gold as almost kind of a hunter s thompson sort of a character and it, like the violent vengeance he gets is sort of at the wool being pulled over his eyes in the end um, of him having not noticed that all of this shit was going on. Because to be fair, it's right in front of his nose. I mean, like, Marlowe is not a good PI. But whereas it's much more explicitly stated in the other one, I feel like this one kind of has a, a subtle thing to say about it. I don't think it's the only reason for the film's being, but I do think it's in there. I think the film in general is is just having fun on so many different levels, um, playing around with uh, old old Hollywood tropes in a new context. Like, uh, surprising people, uh, playing with scenes in order to make them seem more realistic. But I do think in there, there is that subtext about the countercultural movement. I could be wrong.
0: You are. Ah, I right. have no... T- yeah, I, I'm going to watch Inherent Vice maybe today. Who knows? I'll get back to I'd you I'd
1: be on that. fascinated to hear what you think.
0: So, the final scene of the film, I think, is the way that it all ends is, uh, is great. I love it. Yeah. Because... Uh, Marlo walks away after killing Terry he's walking down the road and then Eileen approaches in a car coming towards him and uh, Marlo doesn't even look at her he just keeps on walking and she drives on probably starting to put together that something bad do you think that she thinks that Marlo will have killed Terry?
1: I don't know I don't even know would she be that bothered if he killed Terry
0: Mm. you don't think it's love? you don't think it's true love?
1: No, I think he's a former New York Yankee. I know that. uh, Fair enough, but uh, (laughs) he won the World Series. Like uh, 1962. (laughs) An ongoing trope in films like this is that, like, just the 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 female characters are orchestrating are orchestrating the whole thing. And I mean, Terry Mm. Terry Lennox could just as easily be. Women are conniving
0: whores. You're right,
1: (laughs) indeed, and. Eileen could just as easily be manipulating Terry Lennox in all of this, I think.
0: Come on, Eileen. So then, uh, as Marlo's walking away, he plays that little harmonica he got off of a mate. He's dancing around as the credits uh, roll. There's an old lady walking past. He grabs her arm, spins her around a bit. Obviously, because she's Mexican, she's full of the joys of life. She's just from a simple small town, and she thinks this... Man with a Jew fro wants to dance around with me I, on on this country Mexican country road. And I'm As up for is that. my role in life, I will have to oblige him. Yes. For that is what I will put. That's what I was put on this earth for. But it's nice. You're like yes. Elliot Gould's a winner. He murdered his friend, <laughs> and now he has revenge. He's got justice. Justice for Gould.
1: Did you enjoy this film as much as me?
0: Yeah, no, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. It's another thing, I, I feel like I, now I'm repeating myself. As I said last week, Paths of Glory from 1957 felt fresh. This mm. film from 1973 felt fresh to me. I was like, wow, this really holds up. Yeah. In a way that I was maybe not expecting, because as I, I said would... before, Scarecrow put the fear in me, <laughs> yeah, as yeah, did yeah. The Candidate. Um, I, I've been burned before.
1: But I think like, yeah, I would put this uh, in the upper echelons of films we've watched for this podcast, uh, like yeah. up there with, with Sorcerer and things like that of just something that just went, wow, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to watch this again. Like, I mean, that's it. God, like I, I want to
0: watch Sorcerer. Now that you've just mentioned Sorcerer, I'm like, I want to watch Sorcerer again.
1: I ordered oh, a Sorcerer uh, t-shirt from Redbubble this week. Nice. That is, yes. that is
0: such a waste of money. Well done. How much does it cost?
1: <laughs> 20 euros. <laughs>
0: respect respect to a man with young child
1: thank you very much <laughs> you're uh, welcome well i mean all that money that would have gone on booze needs to go somewhere i need indeed. to get a
0: donate <laughs> button on here somewhere
1: indeed yeah buy us cups of coffee will you <laughs> yeah, i'm gonna sticker, i'm gonna
0: get a paypal link somewhere
1: this man needs
0: to buy t-shirts sorcerer t-shirts t i have t-shirts a
1: for bunch 1977
0: one. film okay
1: Good. Uh, anyway, good, 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 good. So I'm
0: gonna make a I'm gonna make a big point in uh, this week of really telling people to watch this film because I think I had barely heard of it. Yeah. So I feel like it could be easily overlooked. Not yeah. that I am a font of all knowledge on films, but I have watched Frequency, the film, and I've watched <laughs> three episodes of the TV series. So I yeah. do know quite a bit. And I hadn't yeah, I would really agree. paid much attention to this it. Is,
1: uh, this is almost exactly the type of film this podcast exists for. It's not really like, I mean, occasionally we end up discussing out and out classics that one of us might not have seen. Um, but like, and uh, yeah, people who would deign to be hipsters would probably say, well, The Long Goodbye is a classic. But it's like, yeah, but fuck off. It's not really like, much like Sorcerer isn't really. It just didn't get the respect. It didn't get the box office when it came out. But it's a great film. And yeah, I would agree. People should really uh, seek this out and watch yeah. it. It's, it's and this a fantastic is the the way podcast. to spend an hour 50 minutes. This is
0: this is definitely the point of the podcast where I should be talking about how are you recommending the film to people. Yes. <laughs> where we're at the end. I'm like, yeah, you should watch this.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's I'm great. Not ta-
0: if you're listening to this, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to people that haven't listened to this. But maybe you are listening to this because... You saw that I'd recommended film. Who knows? Who knows what chain of events have led you to hearing my voice? Watch at this it point? again. Maybe I cut this. Who knows? Maybe this doesn't exist anywhere. I recommend you just watch it again. Out of my mouth. Hey, Watch it again. It was good. I might watch, watch it, it again.
1: again. Indeed. Yeah. I'll In 20 definitely years. see it again. Right. Science fiction. Yeah. That's, that's what that's I got correct. Science fiction. Science fiction. Yeah. Science yeah, fiction. yeah, yeah. yeah that's that, the that was the
0: criteria. Okay. Who's tossing this week? I don't recall.
1: I believe it's you.
0: I have a coin.
1: Nice one. Okay, I've, what are you I've bring kept it to
0: the table? A coin. I just want to make this point. It's completely uninteresting, but in the United Kingdom, no one uses cash ever. So I specifically have uh, a coin that I leave uh, next on this table that is a 20 cent coin, a 20 cent euro coin. Specifically because for tossing? Otherwise, for this, yeah.
1: Mm.
0: Because we don't, we don't use cash in this country. We've kind of moved beyond that. Nice. Anyway, back to the important stuff. I, with the criteria laid down of science fiction, I have chosen something which is in order to force myself to finish a TV series. <laughs> so, I have only watched seven of the 14 episodes of Firefly.
1: Oh, So, okay. in
0: order to force myself to watch the other seven episodes... I chose the, the follow up film, Serenity, 2005 Serenity, because I want to be Josh Weed on. I want someone to Josh <laughs> Weed on me. He Josh Weed on me. That's what I want.
1: <laughs> I love the fact that uh, Josh Weedon's Me Too moment wasn't even sex stuff, it was just being a dick. He called
0: me a bad name. <laughs> He, yeah. Let's get rid of this guy. He wasn't He wasn't nice to
1: me. Yeah, yeah, he was a prick. And it's like, you know, have you ever he seen needs the video to lose of to his of, livelihood. Have you ever seen the video of David O. Russell just chewing the shit yeah, out of yeah, Lily yeah. Tomlin I was, on the I was set on, of... Uh, I, I
0: i I Heart, I I heart, heart, heart yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, and that guy still works. And Joss Whedon was, was a dick, basically. But because wasn't Joss nice? Whedon is like sort of the guru of the man-child pansy side of society um, they were very upset to find out that he was a bad man that's why we paint
0: that's why we paint ourselves as bad people me and you so that yeah. when people actually meet us they're like oh, he's, they're alright yeah, yeah he's as a nice fella as a, they're not as bad as I thought they were and that's nice. all that you can do is to be slightly better than your reputation
1: Exactly,
0: slightly better than your public perception that's this all you need
1: um, first time in many weeks, I can't like. I, yeah, I hope I win. Yeah, <laughs> I hope you
0: I'm, lose. Okay, right. right.
1: <laughs> I'm. A, I would like to watch a Nick Rogue's David Bowie starring film, The Man Who Fell uh, to yeah. Earth. Have you ever seen yeah. that?
0: No, but I've, yeah, we've we've discussed it or we the have, existence yeah. of it.
1: Uh, yeah, I have so, not yeah. seen it. No, I I hope I win. So what probably. are my options? Have you seen baby? Serenity? I have seen Serenity. I've I, yeah. uh, probably How twice because I've right? seen Firefly twice. Um, yeah yeah it's good
0: it's good it does it just feel like a big follow-on special episode of firefly or is it more of a film
1: more film? or less slightly cinematic like like yeah. yeah there's more money in it for sure but yeah more or less like a long episode okay, of firefly
0: well maybe you'll win your options are basically permanent at this point it is uh 20 cent or a big mecha warrior statue
1: i'm gonna go with 20 this week
0: It is Mecha Warrior statue, I'm sorry.
1: Oh my god. Okay, that means I'm going to have to watch all of Firefly this week as well. You don't if I have I've,
0: to watch all of Firefly, I'm i kind uh, of
1: look, look at me, look at me. This is who I am. <laughs> okay. I, 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 I have not been able to get onto a new TV series because I'm anal about the way I plan things and I'm trying to get through Twin Peaks series 2 and it's killing me because it's awful. I have to watch all of Firefly this week, Andy. Thanks. I thought no, season
0: I'm, 2 of Twin Peaks was supposed to be better
1: no 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 i haven't seen it in
0: such a long time
1: but no no, no i probably oh, wait, wait doesn't, I, doesn't
0: season two of twin peaks kind of end halfway through and then they tack on another like 13 episodes or something
1: that is basically what's happening yeah yeah like the uh, mystery <laughs> yeah, yeah. resolves
0: itself and then they
1: Missed still season, have a yeah.
0: bunch more yeah
1: yeah yeah it's bizarre that was, that was controversial
0: um, at the time i recall
1: But I want to get to season three, uh, so I I suppose I've got to do this. Uh, I probably won't watch all of Firefly, to be honest. I remember it well enough. But one thing I I might recommend for you as a companion piece, if you can track it down, is a documentary about the fandom um, resuscitating the franchise for the film. Uh, It's it's called Done the Impossible. If you ever just want to see a bunch of pathetic nerd men children weeping to camera about how much they like a sci-fi show... It's up your alley. It's it's unintentionally hilarious. I remember as a fan of Firefly, I watched it years ago, and me and my friend just howling with laughter at these idiots.
0: Not like us, cool guys. Cool.
1: Exactly. Oh, yeah. That's right. Exactly. We're cool. I'm All not right. Man-child. Well, child,
0: what are you talking about?
1: Until next week, then. Um... I I love you. You
0: you know what? You know what? Oh, criteria! I always forget the goddamn
1: criteria. Oh yeah, yeah. But I do have a criteria ready for this week. Okay, well that's good. Okay, so uh, next week we we will be pushing forward films based on real happenings. All right. Well, um. Bye, Andy. Chat you next week. Bye. Bye, Donica. Bye. All right.